Hey, Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. Um, last week, we started a series um, simply called Real Talk. And here, here's the hope, or here's the thought. This year in 2020, we, we started off by going through the book of Jonah. We went through all of Hebrews, basically spent this last full year in Hebrews. And then as we're praying about just what's next in this moment, you know, we're praying about really specifically what would God say to us, our church here in South Florida, 2020, right here, right now. You know, if you think about an epistle, a letter written to the church, Paul, like in Galatians or Ephesians or Philippians, he would address specific issues, divisions, moral failures. He would speak encouragement in life. He'd address real life issues and topics. And that's where the Holy Spirit was speaking into a specific community at a specific point in time that obviously is ageless and for us today. But we also want to be very real and say, Lord, what would you say to us here and now in this moment? And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be going over basically different topics, and it's going to be the gospel and, the gospel and. So last week we did the gospel and grief. Today we're going to talk about the gospel and honor. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the gospel and politics, the gospel and race, the gospel and justice, uh, the gospel and spiritual warfare. And it's going to be so fun. Um, I know you cannot wait for the gospel and politics. I know that's everyone's favorite. Um, I can't wait. Uh, but we, our hope and prayer has been, Lord, like, speak to us, you know, here as a local church, in a local community, we want to represent you. We want to be bringers of the kingdom um, on earth as it is in heaven. And so we do want to address real topics, but from this perspective of the gospel, meaning how does the good news of Jesus, how does the truth of Jesus, how does the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection speak into these topics? And what does that mean? And what does that look like? And so our hope is just to unpack this. And why we start off with grief last week and why we're doing honor today is because as we talk about different topics, we want to come at it from this understanding that people are grieving, that there's loss, so people grieve differently. We want empathy and sympathy and, more importantly, compassion, like we talked about last week. We want to approach this well. And then also today, we want to approach this from this lens or this filter of honor. How do we honor others? How do we not be defined by our contempt and our anger and our bitterness and our frustration? How do we approach this with, through, from a perspective of honor, which is like a lost word, a lost virtue today? And so I want to look at this more, and we'll, we'll talk about this, we'll unpack this, uh, but look at with me in Romans 12, and the reason why Romans 12, um, I've always wanted to teach through this book, I've never taught through the book of Romans, probably because I'm too intimidated, um, it's just one of the meatiest books, I can't wait, maybe when I'm 50, like I need a couple more decades of preaching before I can teach Romans, um, or maybe next year, I don't know, uh, but the, the thing about Romans is that, you know, he's dealing with so many topics, grace, justification, sanctification, God's sovereignty, Israel and its role, and there's so many big topics, and then in chapter 12, he now talks about practicing your theology or how to walk it out, how to live it out. And so in Romans 12, verse 9 through 13, what we're going to read, he's basically saying, here's what love is and here's what love looks like. And there's 13 commandments that most scholars believe kind of define love or he's like unpacking love. So we're going to read these 13 commandments, but focus on one, which is simply honor. So he's describing the, the cultural tone of the church. Jew and Gentiles come together. God is forming a new commun community. God is forming a new people group around Jesus, around his word. What does love look like? The new commandment that Jesus gave. And he's describing and defining love. And I love this because sometimes we can talk about love and we don't really put teeth to it. We don't really put like description to love. And he's going to describe love in one of the ways as outdoing one another when it comes to honor. And that is going to be our hope. That's going to be your desire, that we truly be a community of honor, which is really, again, a lost art. So let's do this. We're going to read, and we'll pray. Romans 12, verse 9. Let's just read it. It says, Let love be without hypocrisy. 
Abhor or hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging and diligent. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Join us at 8.15 a.m. every Sunday. Distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. And as we unpack this idea of love, and I think right now, how much, how much more so do we need, just need this as the church? Love each other well. Love the other well. Um, we're going to talk about honor. And I'm just praying that God truly p- puts within our hearts um, this culture of honor. And that the way the world engages right now in, in just different tactics, we would just engage differently that we would go about um, just what's happening in this moment differently. So let's just pray over this. Let's do that right now. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this moment we get to study your word. Really just ask you to just change our heart, change our, our, our even our beliefs. Jesus, we want, we want that to be realigned with you. Jesus, that we'd honor you. We'd honor your word. We'd honor each other. That God, maybe just misunderstandings around what this looks like, that you would clarify but that, Jesus, we would truly be a, a sweet-smelling aroma to the world, and, and really through that just because of honor, because of something in the church, in, in your body, in, in your bride that the world doesn't have. And so, Lord, we just ask that you truly make us into a people that displays and practices and lives out honor. And so, Jesus, we need you. We can't do this without you. And we just want to boast in you, Jesus, and boast in what you've done. And we ask that your gospel, the good news of who you are, would just transform and change how we do honor. We ask this, Jesus, in your wonderful name. Amen. Have you ever shown dishonor to someone who deserved honor? You know, uh, about 14 years ago, I was a part of this discipleship group thing with a guy I really honored, with a guy I really respected. His name was Chuck Smith. Uh, if you're not familiar, that's okay. He's a guy who started Calvary Chapel back in the day. He was like in the 60s and started in Southern California and it led to something called the Jesus Movement. And it's kind of cool if, you know, Time Magazine, like I think in the late 60s, early 70s, had like a picture of the Jesus Movement, which was a bunch of people at the beach getting baptized, like tons of people. It was just where all these hippies were getting saved. And it's like an incredible revival. Probably one of the last great either American bi- of revivals, maybe world revivals, just an amazing thing. And so God really used this guy. Um, and I really respected him. And so in 2007 or 8, I was a part of this discipleship group with like eight other guys. Um, we approached Chuck one day and said, hey, you used to disciple a lot of other guys, like, you know, guys that are now 50s and 60s. Would you disciple us? We're like teenagers. Like, who are we to ask that? And he said, sure. And so for like a year, we would meet with him every Friday for like an hour and a half. We would go through the Bible, ask Bible questions. It was unbelievable. We'd bring like our tape recorder, and I don't know who has that. Um, yeah, we had like a tape recorder thing. And we'd like listen and take notes. And it was one of those things where there's just like so much like reverence in the room. You're like quiet. Like if you talked, you listened, you're fully engaged, you're taking notes. Like you did not like waste time. And it's kind of like, who wants to talk now? And it's just like almost tense at times, but yet he was like almost 80 years old and it kind of had that grandfather papa feel and I started getting very comfortable around him. And I remember one of our, one of our last sessions or whatever, he was like, goodbye. And he's at the door and everyone's saying goodbye. And I'm like, hey, thank you. I hugged him. And I don't know what it was, like 18 year old Josiah. I kind of just like, you know, pat him on the belly. And I was like, thank you. And then like, I was like, what am I doing? And then I could turn into like a rub. I was like, and I was like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, <laughs> bye. And I, I told my girlfriend, who's now my wife, Kimber, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just rubbed Pastor Chuck's belly. She's like, why would you do that? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I just felt like I had like that, that place. I thought we were like friends, but, and she's like, that's like dishonorable. I'm like, I know. Do I apologize? I don't know. And it's just one of those moments. And, and here's the thing, like, 
honor is, is foreign to me. Honor is foreign to us. We really didn't grow up in, like, in a, a very strong culture of honor. You know, if you do think about this, my wife and I are trying to make a list of, like, do we have any honor practices? Like, how do we show honor? And our, our list was very small, so I'm like, okay, scratch that. Then we're like, okay, how do we show dishonor? And then our list obviously got very long. Like, we're more known for being a culture of dishonor than honor. We have more dishonoring practices than honoring practices. You know, think about this. I was reading this. I think 80% of the world is, about, is an honor-shame culture, where the culture is built around family, the community, the greater good of your family name, of the community. We are in the West are all about like an individualistic culture. It's all about us and identifying our own name, our own identity, and it's more on the individual, or maybe in the East, it's more in the family and the culture. And it's funny, I was thinking about this. You know, there's such a, worldwide, there's more of an honor-shame culture. We don't have that. I feel like we live in this moment of idolized, demonized culture. We don't have an honor-shame culture. It's kind of similar, though. We honor to the point of idolize, we worship, and then if we, they don't say what we want them to say or do what we want them to do, we demonize. You know, Chris Pratt right now is a great example. We idolize, didn't do what we want them to do, we demonize. And the list can go on and on and on. We're a culture we don't really show honor. We know how to idolize people and worship people, and we also know how to demonize people. And I really think that God is calling us, especially the church, the bride of Christ, to press into honor. For some reason, it feels like it's our right to be dishonorable. Like, I'm all for freedom of speech. I'm very thankful for that right, in fact. But it's crazy how we as the church can take that, and we just feel like we have the right now to say or do whatever it is we want to say. And I, I really think that this is the challenge where we, this, this needs to be pushed back a little bit, especially within our, our church. Like, when the world participates in dishonor and contempt and saying terrible things about people and each other, leaders, other church people, like, we're not going to engage in that. That we're going to do this differently. And so honor might be foreign to us. You know, I was thinking about this 10 years ago to today. I've heard so many dishonorable things said about former President Barack Obama. I've heard so many dishonorable things said about current tr President, President Trump. And this is not okay. This is not acceptable. We've got we to understand something, you guys. There has to be this idea where we can disagree with someone, even strongly disagree with someone, but still honor them in the process. And so how, what does this look like? How do we do this? Again, like my, my, even me, I'm, I'm still processing this. I'm trying to sit with this idea of honor because I might know about it, but I don't know if I, I practice it. I don't know if it's in my muscle memory yet. I don't know if I've truly carried this out. And you know, I think about my experience of honor has been like, if I, growing up, didn't honor my coach or my teammates, I sat out. If I honored them, I played. Like, it's almost like my experience of honor was only for personal gain and benefit, not honor for the sake of honor. And so I really believe we have a moment right now where God is saying, listen, I know how the world talks about other world leaders. I know how the world might, even the church might talk about other churches and the way they do church or styles of worship or styles of preaching. I know how they do that, but we're not going to engage with dishonor, but with honor. We can disagree with the idea and the belief, but we're going to honor the person in the process. And so this is going to be different for us. And this will be challenging. And I'm praying that God speaks and move. Are you guys ready? Are you ready for this? Yes? Okay. So here's what we're going to look at. Just really two big thoughts today, and we're going to unpack this. I want to look at how, where we're at and where we want to be. So where we're at and where we want to be. Here's where we're at. We're in a culture of contempt. Where we want to be is a community of honor. We're in a culture of contempt. We want to be a community of honor. So let's look at a culture of contempt. The opposite of honor is not necessarily dishonor. I would say it's probably contempt. Uh, I mentioned this book before. I highly recommend it because this chapter is probably about today, uh, but there's a book called Beautiful Resistance and by John Tyson. And he talks about this idea how uh, your honor must resist contempt. And here's how he describes contempt. Contempt is the feeling that someone else is beneath consideration, worthless, deserving of scorn. 
and someone else is beneath you. It's basically you're seeking to diminish the person's value. You're seeking to, to diminish or demean or dehumanize, maybe even demonize the other. Contempt is this position in your heart where then you begin to look at someone and say, oh, you believe that? You like that person? You think that way? You think because they maybe said one thing, you go, I now know you. I now understand everything there is to know about you. And in a really quick moment, we've categorized someone, we've labeled someone, and we ultimately do that so we can dismiss them. We go, well, you think this way. You believe this way. You vote this way. So therefore, you are this way. Therefore, I don't want nothing to do with you. And we're really good at building up contempt in our heart for the other and dismissing them. And really, essentially, it's just another form of hatred. It's another form of anger. It's just another form of, Jesus talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount. He's talked about, it's not just, you know, do not murder someone, but when you have hatred in your heart, you've murdered them. And then he goes on to say, even if you say, call someone raka, meaning you fool, empty-headed, he goes, you're in danger of hellfire. The, the point being, once you build contempt in your heart and you go, you are now less because your views make you less, in my opinion. He goes, you're in danger of contempt. And so we want to talk about it. So contempt is that feeling where someone's beneath you. Honor is the call to recognize the value someone possesses and esteem that person rightly. You're trying to esteem that person the way God has made. You're trying to esteem them the right way. You're trying to lift them up. You're esteeming. You're lifting them up. Where contempt, you're kind of putting them down. So let's just unpack this a little bit. You know, one author went to talk about contempt, and he said it this way. He says, people speak with incredible contempt about, depending on their views, the rich, the poor, the educated, the foreign-born, the president, or the entire U.S. government. It's a level of contempt that is usually reserved for enemies and more time exempt or except that now it's applied to our fellow citizens. Unlike criticism, contempt is particularly toxic because it assumes a moral superiority in the speaker. Contempt is often directed at people who have been excluded from the group or declared and worthy of its benefits. Contempt is often used by governments to provide rhetorical cover for torture or abuse. People who speak with contempt for one another will probably not remain united for long. It's interesting. It seems as if right now we're in a moment where people are building a following, building their business, building their brand through contempt. It's almost like the more angry you are, the more bitter you are, the more frustrated you are at the other, the more your following grows. And we're building communities. Think about this. We're building communities around contempt. It's almost like these anti-tribes where it's not, I'm not known for what I'm for. I'm just known for what I'm against. And you're building community by what you're fully against. And the Bible has called us not to be known for, for what we're against, but what, what we're for. We want to be for a culture of honor. You know, I thought it was so good. Uh, one of the, a senator wrote about this, this moment we're in of contempt. I actually want to read what he said. So here's what he said. He says, our isolation has deprived us of healthy local tribes with whom we share values and goals and ways of life that uplifts us. And so he says, we fall into anti-tribes defined by what we're against rather than what we're for. It's a sorry substitute for real belonging, but it's better than nothing. We might not have much in the way of community, but at least we aren't as ludicrous as the sanctimonious liberals on MSNBC or as absurd as those blowhard conservatives on Fox. There's something comforting in joining people of a similar mindset, we, to denounce them. No one wants to sit alone. And so, liberals and conservatives no longer believe the same things. We don't understand how our opponents believe what they believe. And we, it's supposed to be soothe, we soothe our, our lonely souls with the balm of content. We soothe our lonely souls with the balm of contempt. 
we're like calming ourselves. We're finding almost like it's therapeutic for us by being contempt together, by being angry at the other together. Like, I can't believe they would. I can't believe he or she said. And we're, we're finding community through anti-trots. And, and the enemy's playing off this. And it's happening in the church. And the reason why we're even doing this series is we're trying to say, listen, we're not going to let the enemy turn one community into two different expressions. We're not going to let it be a left versus right. The reason why we're doing this whole idea is we are one body, one baptism, one Lord, one spirit, one God. And we're going to fight for honor. And we're not going to put up with this. We're not going to let it in. We're not going to participate in maybe what we once participated in. You can, again, strongly disagree with someone, but still show them honor. Actually, one Supreme Justice, his name was Antonin Scalia, passed away in 2016, but here's what he said. He says, I attack ideas, I don't attack people. And if you can't separate the two, you got to get another day job. And that, that's the idea. We're not going to attack people in the process. Can you attack ideas that are, might be harmful? Yes, but we're not going to attack people. And we're going to go about it with honor. But right now what's happening is we're just attacking people. And the church, you guys were called to a higher standard. And, and, you know, this is the thing. Like, we can almost get contempt with each other. We can get tempted with everyone and anything. It's, you know the saying, familiarity breeds contempt, right? You can be around the church so much that you can get contempt for God. You can be around each other. You don't appreciate what's, what God's doing here, what's happening here. You can, we can build, build up contempt because we're just familiar with it. We got used to it. And we're not really appreciating, appreciating what we have in the moment we're in. This was happening to the nation of Israel. When God delivered the nation of Israel from Egypt, from Pharaoh, and he crossed them over the Red Sea, and they're in the wilderness. And then God's providing manna from heaven. And God's providing quail and waters coming out of rocks. And God, time and time again, through just miracle after miracle, is providing and showing up and, and showing his goodness. The people were miserable. And they're complaining. God delivered them from the slavery of Egypt, but he couldn't deliver them from the slavery of themselves. Like, they were delivered from the tyranny of Pharaoh, but not the tyranny of contempt. And, and you see, there at one point in time, just going, God, we wish you left us there as slaves. We'd rather be eating leeks and onions than be here in the wilderness. And we'd rather be slaves again. And then God asked Moses this question in Numbers 14, 11. God said to Moses, listen, how long will these people treat me with, say the word, contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I performed among them? That familiarity for them bred contempt. How long will they treat me? How long will they not appreciate what I'm doing? It's interesting how contempt can make us not appreciate the goodness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, that when you get this built up and you look down on someone as the other, the lesser, we can do that with God and say, God, where are you in this moment? And they're developing contempt. After miracle, after miracle, after miracle, they saw this contempt in their heart, even towards God. I mean, we see this so clearly in Jesus' life and ministry. Jesus, who is Messiah, Son of God, when he, when he came to his own hometown, was completely rejected. And I do want to read the story because I think it just fits so well with the topic in the moment. If you would turn to Mark chapter 6, Mark 6, but I want to read this to you. It's a very familiar passage, but I want you to see this with it, under this mindset of familiarity, familiarity breeds contempt. And we see this clearly with Jesus in Mark 6. Listen to this. It's Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Can you guys like turn your Bibles? I want to hear the pages turning so I feel better about, yeah, I knew you turned. Okay, cool. Mark 6, verse 1. It says, then Jesus went out from there and he came to his own country. And his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. That makes sense. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. 
Now, Jesus could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled. Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in the circuit teaching. This story is so great. I mean, Jesus goes into his hometown. Like, isn't that Jesus, the son of Mary? Jesus is doing miracle after miracle, speaking wisdom and truth in life. They recognize there's something different about him, but they go, no, no, no. This is, we saw this kid grow up. Is this not the son of Mary? Isn't this the carpenter's son? I mean, we know him. We know his siblings. There's no, so there's no way. There's just no way. And Jesus made that classic statement or phrase that we quote a lot, but a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, meaning a prophet has honor everywhere except his own country, that they got too used to him. That in a sense, and here's the idea, it ends with this. He could only do a few miracles. I love that about him, by the way. It's like still Jesus and all of his glory and power. Even though there's no faith, he still got a few miracles done. But imagine, what could he have done if they honored him? What could he have done? I mean, if they said, Jesus, you know, God showed up in a burning bush. God showed up in a, in a whirlwind. God showed up in so many different ways. Now he's showing up in the carpenter's son. His name is Jesus. I mean, if there was this mindset or this expectation of, wow, Jesus is the one we've been waiting for, if they truly showed Jesus honor, what would he have done? What could he have done? The point is their contempt for what was familiar cut them off from more blessing. See, the idea is contempt can cut us off from the power of God, the anointing of God, the lack of honor they displayed cut them off for more blessing, for more favor. I really do want us to hear this, because I do think even for us as a church, if we're just known for our contempt, our lack of honor, if we're known for this, it might cut us off from blessing, cut us off from what God wants to do in us, in our church, in our community. And so this is where we have to press into this. We have to say, let us learn from this moment. Say, Jesus, we don't want to have this mindset where we're familiar with you. Where we kind of go, okay, like, yeah, that's Jesus. I mean, I know he can do it. How, how do we approach Jesus even with this honor? How do we approach each other with this honor? What if we're truly to say, you know what? I know this person. I've grown up with them and around them. But maybe God wants to use them. Maybe God wants to do something incredible through them. Maybe God is speaking through them right now. We need to listen. What if we didn't just get so familiar with each other that we, it just began to breed contempt in our lives? See, the, the point is we live right now in a moment of contempt. We live right now in a moment where it's, where it's actually, it's almost like honoring to be dishonoring. It's more acceptable to be dishonoring and to go off and be furious on Facebook or just go on these rants than it is to be honoring. And we're saying, no, we're going to fight that. We're going to press against that. That we're going to have honor for Jesus and honor for each other. So let's look at this. Number two, what we want to be is a community of honor. We want to be a community of honor. You know, we're going to fight this culture of contempt. We're going to be a community of honor. It's Romans 12, and I want to read it again, because just be very clear, but Romans 12, verse 9, uh, Paul said it this way again, in honor, giving preference to one another. Or in the ESV, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. This word honor in Greek is just time, and it just means to value something or to prize something. That I honor you, or you honor someone, you're valuing them, you're prizing them. They bring value to your life. You prize them for who they are. There's almost the idea, you get the word honorarium, an honorarium is basically like a gift or it's like a financial blessing. Maybe, maybe someone comes in here and speaks and they bless us. They bless our community. They deposit a value to us. We would give them an honorarium, a really small one because we're a small church, but a small honorarium. And just saying, thank you, thank you. We, we honor you. We honor what you've given us. We honor what you shared with us. And a lot of times we'll, we'll honor people financially, but the idea was like you're valuing, you're prizing, you're showing people you honor them. The idea, again, honor is, listen, honor is the recognition of the value, contribution, and importance of others. It's the recognition of the value, contribution, and importance of others. And you're saying, we honor you. I value you, your contribution. I recognize you. 
the value you bring to this. And it's very hard because, listen, people are flawed. People will make mistakes. We're not going to be able to uh, maybe respect every decision someone makes, but how do we honor them and the position and the authority that that person has or brings? And I want to be really clear because we kind of get confused. There's a difference between glory and honor. There's a difference. Glory is that intrinsic value. Like that, that mountain or whatever is glorious. It has value whether or not I even recognize it. It just has like value, there's power to it. So listen, God has glory. Whether or not creation ever says, God, you are glorious, doesn't matter. God is still glorious. When we say, God, you're glorious, we're honoring him. We're realigning God. the truth of God is glory. We're realigning it with our honor. We're saying, God, we're going to honor you. We're going to realign truly who you are with what we believe, what we say, what we do. And we're going to honor you by realigning our lives with the true glory you have. So this glory is like this intrinsic thing God has. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He says, a man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the word darkness on the walls of his cell. We can't do anything to take away from the glory of God. God is glorious. But how do we now give him honor? How do we join in with creation and give him honor? How do we recognize that? You know what I love about, I've mentioned this before, but what I love about worship, the call of wor to worship, so at 9.15 or 11.15, when we say, hey guys, welcome, we're going to worship now, you know what we're doing? We're basically joining all of creation with worship. Like creation's already worshiping God. In heaven right now, there's already worship happening. And when we start our worship, our praise, we're basically saying, let's join in with heaven right now. Hey guys, like we're live streaming with heaven. It's like you're jumping in with heaven because they're already worshiping. And so be here for that. Like, come on. We want to join in with heaven when it comes to that. And say, yes, let's be a part of this, this moment. We're giving you glory. You already have glory, and we're giving you honor. We're realigning our honor with who you truly are, your glory. You know, we see this in Revelation 5. We see this idea of glory and honor. You almost always see glory and honor, like, side by side in the scriptures. And we see this in Revelation 5. Listen to this. Revelation 5. Uh, it's this, there, this picture of heaven. John says, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom, strength and, you can say it, strength and, and, and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every, uh, uh, and such are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying blessing and, blessing and, and. And power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. They're saying honor and glory, honor and glory. They're saying, God, you're glorious. And now we're joining in. We're recognizing that. We're giving you the honor that is due your name. You already are glorious. It doesn't matter if we never worshiped you. You're still glorious. But we're joining in to, to also say, but we're going to honor you in that glory. We're realigning our honor with who you are in your glory. So here's the idea. What, what does the Bible say about honor? So let's just talk about honor. Because if we're a culture of honor, we got to understand the Bible. Again, this is a virtue that's like a lost virtue. It's not a virtue or a word you hear a lot, probably more in the church than anywhere else, but it's like a lost art. So where do we see this? Again, first of all, we just talked about, we see it in creation. The angels honor God. Let me say this. There's honor within the Trinity. Within the Trinity, there's perfect honor. The Father honors the Son. The Son honors the Father. The Son honors the Spirit. The Spirit honors the Father. You're going to see this perfect love and honor within the Trinity, constantly like pointing to each other, constantly just saying, when the Spirit comes, he will giving credit and glory. When the Spirit comes, he's going to testify of Jesus. There's this mutual honor within the Godhead. We worship one God who eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and there's mutual honor there. And so, listen, God, God, our triune God, 
there's honor within him, within the Godhead. So within us, it's going to bleed at us. We are people of honor. We're made in God's image. We need to be people of honor. Sin has broken that and skewed that, but since God, there's honor within the Godhead, there should be honor within us. And then here's that verse in John 5, John 5, 22. Jesus said, for the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son, that all, that all should honor the son just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. If you're going to honor the father, you must honor me. And the father has de declared it to be that way. That there's honor between the father and the son, the son and the father. And listen, if you want to honor the father, you've got to honor me. And we see there's honor within the Trinity. Next we see this. Uh, we honor God with our bodies. I mean, again, the scriptures are filled with this. 1 Thessalonians 4. I mean, there's so many other verses and passages, but here's the idea. It's 1 Corinthians 6. We honor God with our bodies. It says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price? Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I love this because this verse pushes against our radical individualistic culture that says it's my body, I can do whatever I want. The Bible says it's God's body, steward it well, <laughs> that your body is not your own, that God paid a huge price for your body. You know what he did? God gave up his body so he could have your body. God gave up his body on the cross. Do you not know that you're bought at a price? Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are his, they're his. And there's this idea of just honoring God with our body. We can say all day, God, we honor you, but is our body honoring God? We can say all day, God, I honor you, God worship you, God. Though you worship him with your lips, your heart is far from him. The, the idea is my body will honor you. I'm going to honor God with my body. Next is this idea of we honor God with wealth. It's Proverbs 3. It says, honor the Lord. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. It's one of those promises attached to it, but it's honor. Honor the Lord. How? Honor the Lord with your wealth. Number five is this. Honor authority and positions. The Bible talks a lot about this. I'm going to say this more for next week, but I thought I'd give you a little sneak peek. It's Romans 13, uh, but here's what it says in Romans 13. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Render, therefore, to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due, <laughs> customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Then 1 Peter 5 goes on to say, honor the king. We're told to honor the governing authorities because God placed them there. Because if whoever's there at that point in time in human history, he's, God is saying, I'm in control. Do you not think I'm in control? Honor them. Honor the king. Honor who's ever in charge. You might be thinking, but Josiah, you have no idea. I mean, Paul didn't have, you know, back then what we have today in leadership. You're right. Paul had Caesar Nero. All right. It was a lot worse. All right. Paul had a guy who was feeding Christians to lions and lighting them on fire and just doing terrible things to them. And he's like, honor that guy. Honor that guy. Honor the guy who's going house to house and bringing terror. Honor the guy who's, who's blaming Christians for the, for the Roman fires. Honor that guy. Honor the king, Peter says. My point is being we are called to honor people's positions and authority. That is, we get to this next week under this topic. I'm almost like saving it, but in, in my mind, we have to talk about this. That honor, we also honor the position they're in. And in the book of Daniel, we see this really clearly. That you know what? God can raise up who he wants to raise up. God can tear down who he wants to tear down. God, God can do that. God says, the, the heart of the king is in my hand. God goes, I can do what I want to do, but you, you honor that person in the process. You might disagree with their policies and beliefs and whatever, but you honor that person. This is where the church, we have to step up in this. Next is honor wives. 
First Peter 3, 7. Husbands, giving honor to the wives. I love this, and I should say wife. It sounds like multiple. You have one wife. But honor your wife, um, not multiple. The, the idea behind this, and I love this, is the Bible is so ahead of its time. Normally, you would think people assume this, this book is ancient, outdated, patriarchal. But you got to understand it. You, if you think that, you should read wives honor your husbands, which you do read wives respect your husbands. But we see in the scriptures, is husbands honor your wives. We are called to honor our wives, to esteem them, to give them value, dignity, worth. The scriptures were so ahead of its time. Next, we see this, honor your parents. It says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Honor your parents, the first commandment with promise. I love this because if you read the Ten Commandments, it is interesting. Like, do not murder. Do not steal. God's never like, hey, don't murder. And if you don't murder, I promise I'll give you a reward. Like, there's no reward for not murdering someone. Like, hey, you had a good day. You didn't murder anyone. Good job. Like, there's no reward for that, right? There's a reward, though, for honoring your parents, that you may live long on the earth. And even that idea, most people believe, is like you might have quality of life, whether that's from listening to them, the wisdom they offer, bringing quality, or maybe simply God just honoring you for honoring. Maybe God's giving you a quality of life, even if your parents never had anything good to say, if they had never anything, anything to add value to you, but you know what? You, you honor them in the process. God says, I will honor you. It's a verse commitment with promise. Honor spiritual authority. It's First Timothy 5. Paul writes, let the elders who rule be count, rule well, be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. I was going to make this the whole sermon today, but no, I, I didn't write this, you guys. Um, no, but honor those who are investing in you spiritually. We're told to show double honor, and this is really interesting, actually, because double honor to those who rule well or elder well over you spiritually, but then the only other time we kind of see this idea of double honor is also to honor those who are unseen, to honor those, the unseen parts of the body of Christ, the unseen service to Jesus. That's the next thing. It's honor the unseen service or honor the unseen members. 1 Corinthians 12 says this, those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given, listen, greater honor to the part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. There are so many unseen things that are happening here that Paul says, God, we're going to give greater honor to, God gives greater honor to, we want to do that. Guys, every week people come here to set up, to tear down, to prepare for worship, to do kids' ministry, to pray, to put snacks out. I mean, every week there's people, this labor of love. And can we just give them honor? Can we say thank you to those who serve the unseen body? You can clap. Say thank you to the unseen parts of the body. And you're probably clapping for yourselves, to be honest, because that's so many of you. And we just say thank you. We want to honor those unpresentable, unseen parts where, where you know, God obviously sees, and there's a greater honor there. Next is this. We're going to honor all. If I haven't said everything, like if, I, if you're like, just what else is there? Um, 1 Peter 5, 17, I, I love this. Peter's like, uh, by the way, just honor everyone, all right? Honor all. So here's the idea. The, the operating system of heaven, the way heaven works is this, honor. That we're going to look a lot different than the world, but do we? That we're called to have greater honor, but do we see that? And this is one of those things I'm guilty of where I hear conversation or talk about someone or something and I want to participate in because I'm like, yeah, I don't like that either. And I want to jump on board. And it's like, here's what we're called to do. We're called to show honor to the person, to, to realize and recognize that God has placed someone or something in, in, that, in that position, in that place. And say, we're going to honor that position itself. We're going to honor the king. We're going to show honor when it doesn't feel like showing honor. Paul did this so well. Paul was constantly thrown before leaders who beat him up, abused him, falsely accused, falsely beaten. And when you read Acts, Paul was showing honor throughout his whole speech. The high priest who beat him. And Paul said something one time, and he's like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. You're a high priest. I should show you honor. Paul was constantly showing honor. 
And, and here's the thought for us. Listen, we live in a moment where people are trying to deconstruct honor, and it's hard to be honorable or live honorable or show honor, and we're saying, no, we're going to fight for this. When other people will participate in contempt towards the other, towards person, towards maybe even their beliefs, and now they get this sense of arrogance where I know that you think this way, therefore you are this way, therefore, again, I label you and I dismiss you and I want nothing to do with you. We're not going to participate in that. That's an image bearer of God. We're going to view them differently. We're going to participate in honor differently. So let's talk about this honor filter, this honor filter. Because Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 16, he goes, therefore, we now no longer regard any man after the flesh. Meaning, um, we're not going to look at people the way other people look at people. We're going to look at people the way Jesus sees them. We're going to regard no one after the flesh. We're going to see people in a new light. We're going to look at people the way God looks at them. That we're going to have a, a different filter in which we view people. Because it's easy for us to see what everyone else is seeing and to say what everyone else is saying. But we're going to have a different filter. And this filter is going to be an honor filter. And so here's that honor filter. In this book, Beautiful Resistance, I mentioned earlier, uh, the pastor gives over six ways, or four ways, but we had a couple, six ways to just view people through this lens of honor. All right, to view people through a lens of honor. Here's the idea. If you're taking notes and you're wondering, how do I show honor when someone doesn't seem to be living honorably? How do I show honor when I don't feel like they deserve honor? Here's the first thing. Honor others' stories. Honor others' stories. When you come to someone and you go, oh, I just can't stand that person, or I can't stand what, what they stand behind or what they're for, honor their story. God, the way God has made them and wired them, what God has done in their life. Know that person has a background where they probably have suffered. They've probably gone through some things like you've gone through some things. There's probably some different moments in their life that have defined and shaped who they are or why they are the way they are. And we're going to seek to understand their stories. You know, knowing that everyone went through kindergarten and knowing that everyone went through those awful middle school years, we're going to have a, a little bit more honor in that moment. Like, oh, you went through that too? I did too. That's awful. Awesome. Um, we're going to show honor when we understand their, their stories. Next is this. We're going to honor others' callings. We're going to honor other people's callings. Not everyone has the same calling here. That's a beautiful thing. You know, we look at Psalm 139 where he says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we're like, oh, God, Josiah, me, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. What if we read that like you, that person next to me, that just really frustrates me, they are fearfully and wonderfully made. Like, I'm going to honor the calling God has on their life, that God has a unique call and anointing and gift on their life. And I'm going to honor that call. I'm going to honor what God has placed on them. And that's going to be a filter in which we view people. And then we're going to honor others' sacrifices. You know, a lot of people have sacrificed a lot, whether for the position in or what they're doing, or even I think about this church, a lot of you have sacrificed a lot to do what we do. We honor that. You've made sacrifices. Thank you. Jesus sees that. If no one ever sees you, Jesus sees you. But we're going to do our best to honor those sacrifices that the other has made. Let's, we're going to also do this. We're going to honor others' gifts. We're going to honor others' gifts. We're going to say, God has given you specific gifts he has not given me. God has blessed you in ways he has not blessed me, and I'm going to honor that in you, that you are an expression of the body of Christ, First Corinthians 12, and I'm so thankful you have a different gift. So when the church wants to be at odds with each other and fight with each other and say, well, why do you care about this and why do you care about this? We're going to honor this other person's gift and say, you know what? You have a gift on your life, and you have a calling on your life that makes you so passionate about this, and I honor that, and I see that. And before we dispute it, we're going to honor it, and then we're also going to honor others' authority. We're going to honor others' authority. It is Romans 13, like we talked about. But God has given people positions or authority, and we're going to honor that. We're going to honor that place. Because ultimately, we're going to realize that God can raise up, and God can tear down, and God's in control, and we're going to honor that authority that they have in their life, and the authority in which they carry themselves, the authority in which they do ministry. And we're going to honor that. And lastly, we're going to honor others' futures. You know, because right now, here's the idea. You get a little, when you meet someone, encounter someone, you had a bad experience with that person, or a bad moment, you're like, I don't really like that. Listen, you saw somebody at this point in time in their life, and you have no idea where they're at in their journey, and no idea what God is doing in them and what he will do in them. 
and we're going to honor this person's future because we go, God, we believe and we trust that you are making us from, you're taking us from glory to glory, that you're making us more into the image of your son, Jesus. I'm going to honor what it is you're doing in them. And so we want to honor others' futures. We want to honor what God's doing in that moment. The reason why we're going through this and talking through this, you guys, is because in this moment, in 2020, probably one of the things that has broken my heart the most is the contempt, is the lack of honor. And when I think about 2020, going, God, what do you want to speak to our church about? It's weird to make honor one of the topics, but you go, but it's one of the most dishonoring moments and cultures and generations we've ever been in, and let it not be so for the church. Let it not be so for the bride of Christ. That we're going to press in, that when other people, and they're saying what we want to hear, we, we like what they're saying, and we agree with them, but how they're doing it and how they're diminishing others in the process, we're not going to participate. That we're going to honor the position, we're going to honor the person that God has, has made them to be or the position he's given them, but maybe we're just not going to honor their beliefs. And they're easy, that's okay. You can honor someone and completely disagree with them. But for some reason, we've missed that in our moment. It's almost like if someone disagrees with you, we feel like they hate you. No, we can disagree with you and love you. We can disagree with you and, and honor you. And we're going to fight for that as a church. We're going to honor, even amongst disagreements, we're going to honor and I would just pray that that can happen at least here, at least here. And hopefully out in the world with non-believers, like we, it has to happen. I've talked to some people more recently, and it's, it's broken my heart where it's like, I don't know if I want to go to a church where people think this or believe this. I don't know if I want to go to church where people think this and believe this. It's like, man, I'm so thankful for the body of Christ and for the different expressions. And you know what? It's not, there's not one church with a left and a right. There's one church. And I just want to fight for one church, one baptism, one Lord, one body, one spirit. Like, that's the stuff. We're going to fight for that. We're going to fight to honor. There might be different expressions. There might be different beliefs, but we're going to fight for it. You know what? Jesus is central. Jesus is the focal point. Jesus is the head of the church. He, we are to the body, and he is over it all, and we're going to fight for this. We're going to fight to honor each other in this moment, in this process. But here's what I've really been sitting in. I think the lack of honor we've seen is honestly because we don't know what it's like to honor God anymore. Like, I think that we're not seeing honor with each other because do we even honor God? Do I truly, do we truly honor God? I think of what Jesus said in Matthew 15, 8. Jesus talking to Pharisees, and he used, he pulled from Isaiah, but he's like, these are the people that honor me with their loves, but their heart is far from me. And I think that I don't want to fall into that category because it's very easy for me to fall into that category of, God, I honor you with my lips. My, is my heart far from him? Is my heart near and dear to him? Do I check the box and believe the right things and I can say I honor him, but do I truly honor him in my actions and my practices and my behaviors and my attitudes? Is my heart near to you that Jesus is, me honoring you is not to get something from you. Me honoring you is not for me to benefit just for the sake of you are worthy of glory and honor. That I want to realign my honor with your glory with who you are. You know, Malachi 1, God had this question for the leaders, and then he asked the, the people of Israel this, but God had this question in Malachi 1. He says, a son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts. He goes, if I'm a father, where's my honor? If I'm a master, where's my honor? You show honor to everyone and anyone, but what about me? And ultimately, I think this call to honor is a call back to honor Jesus, a call back to honor the father. That Jesus said in John 5, he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. That we can never truly honor God the Father if we don't honor God the Son. And he says, listen, it starts with honor. It starts with honor with me, and I'll bleed into your life. And I love this because we just went through a lot of verses, I know. I know we went through a lot of verses. The Bible is just jam-packed with this concept of honor. And I love Peter at the very end. He's like, just honor everyone. Just come on. Not honor the people you want to honor. Not honor people that you think you should honor. Honor all. Honor the king who's slaughtering the brothers and sisters in Christ. Honor that guy. And we're called to a higher standard of honor that doesn't make sense, that is not like the world, because the way of Jesus is just different. 
the way of Jesus is the straight and the narrow. It's the hard path. It's the path where he's like, how can you honor that person? Because I'm going to honor that person. I remember years ago, a pastor named Louis Giglio got invited to pray at uh, Barack Obama's inauguration. And I remember the church was so furious. Why would you go pray? And I just, it's sad that he had to even go, because I'm asked by a world leader to pray over him in the nation. How could I pass up on that? How could I pass up on an opportunity to pray over our future president and to pray over our nation? I'm not going to pass up on the opportunity. Whether or not you like him or agree with him, I'm not going to pass up on that. And the point is, church, how can we do this? How can we not be so quick to say, I can't believe they're associating with, maybe they're not, maybe they're just showing honor. And we need to be a culture and a moment, a church and a community that is saying, we're not going to be known for our contempt. We're not going to be anti-tribes that get together about what we're against. We're going to be a community that's going to be known by what we're for. We're for Jesus and his kingdom. We're for honor. We're for living out the kingdom because it's going to look different. It's going to be hard. But the world's going to go, how can you show honor to everyone? And you're like, let me tell you about the way of Jesus. It's just an opportunity and a way for us to be a sweet-smelling aroma to a world that doesn't smell so sweet right now. And we just want to be a culture of honor, a community of honor in this moment. Amen? Here's what we're going to do. Um, we actually, because this is a comedy club, they have a, a venue or an event happening at 1 o'clock. Um, so we actually have to be out of here at 2 o'clock. We have to be out of here at 1 o'clock. So we're not going to end with worship today. But I just want to end with just that call and that charge to let's go. Let's show honor in our groups. Let's show honor this week, this pivotal week, the next two weeks. And um, guys, please listen. Grab some of those bags. Take those bags Go into those neighborhoods, find people who don't know Jesus or people on the streets and just give them back. Say, we love you. We notice you. God loves you. God notices you. Share that with them. If you'd like to be at the fall festival on Saturday on the 31st, we could really use some help for a setup team and a team to be there to meet people. That would be incredible. And um, baptism people, we will look at the weather report and text you. All right. We love you guys. Uh, I'm going to pray. And then because of this uh, event happening, we're going to pray it out and let you guys go. Let's do that. Father, we thank you um, so much for this moment we get to slow down, to open your word, and God, we ask that you would realign our heart with the truth of your word, that Jesus, you would truly make us a people of honor. Forgive me, God, because I have at many points in times not been showing honor. And Jesus, I ask that we would, um, we would learn, there'd be grace in that but that we'd also press on and challenge each other to move towards honor. And that, God, when the world wants to show contempt, that we would show honor, and that we'd esteem others, and that we'd see the value and the recognition and the gifts and the callings and the, the future you have for them. And Jesus, help us to show honor in this moment. So we love you. We thank you. And, oh, Jesus, we need you. We just praise you in your name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great Sunday. Have great groups. Grab those bags. And, yeah, we'll see you in groups. God bless you guys.